Deals Activist Investing Today podcast, and I'm super excited to be here with Ertan Engenalev, who's the founder and managing partner of activist fund WSD Capital Management. Uh, before WSD, Ertan founded the Warschild Group, San Francisco private investment firm. And before that, he was an investment banker in Istanbul. Ertan, thank you so much for taking a little time. It's great to be here, Ron. Thanks for having me. So I wanted to get uh, you talk a little about, uh, you do a lot of activism in Turkey, basically that's your primary uh, destination for activism, which I think you're the only uh, Western activist, at least, or any activist that I'm aware of that does any sort of um, insurgencies in Turkey. So I thought maybe before we get into specific examples, you could walk us through a little, about, a little bit about the institutional investor, the retail investor uh, breakdown for Turkey. And then um, uh, uh, from our previous conversation, you had, you had suggested that a lot of these Turkish companies are insider controlled, either, uh, I guess, uh, you know, the, the, the families or founders have a, a, a controlling stake in, in the business, which I suspect would make it difficult, but possibly not insurmountable. So maybe just walk us through a little bit uh, the, the makeup of the investment base there. Sure. Um, so we started WSD in 2014 as the first activist investor in Turkey, and we're still the only one pretty much. And uh, the consensus back then was that you can't really do shareholder activism in Turkey for some of the reasons that you've mentioned. You know, you have uh, primarily family controlled entities, you have dual share class structures, you have super votes. Um, you have small floats, so small public floats. So in essence, there are very little levers that you can pull um, to get to the board and get yourself hurt. At least that was the conventional wisdom. And um, my view was that it, you know, because it is family controlled, you might actually it might be actually easier to get into the board if you can um, if you can show that what you bring to the table is actually a value add. Particularly if the, uh, if the outside institutional investors that uh, uh, maybe are frustrated and, but don't feel like they have any sort of uh, way to, to move, the, move the needle, I guess. Right. And also, but uh, the, the controlling family might actually find it appealing that there's an outside uh, voice and maybe new ideas on how to enhance shareholder value because... You know, I, I mean, our, what we bring to the table is get the perspective of a foreign institutional investor, some of which have not even invested in Turkey before. So when we talk to them and we say, you know, have you looked at Turkey? They say, yeah, we have looked at Turkey. But, um, you know, principally, they want to be invested in, um, I mean, they, they are pretty much stock pickers. What you have in Turkey um, is primarily emerging market funds that look at Turkey in terms of asset allocation rather than any specific company. Okay. So when I talk to them and I say, you know, what are your top holdings? They will name three and then they say, you know, let me look up the other ones. I don't remember because it, it, it's not something that's part of their business model. If you do asset allocation and you put 200 million into Turkey, I mean, it's generally of a industry thesis rather than, you know, stock picking, which is what we do, the fundamental research and then uh, going into specific uh, equities because we believe they're undervalued. Mm -hmm. So the, the Turkey is, so th that was basically the idea that if you bring something to the table that 
um, generates value for the company, mm-hmm. uh, management should be open to those ideas because principally they are the largest shareholder. So they get most of the economic upside when things go right, when the company becomes more valuable. Mm-hmm. And, um, but, you know, like you mentioned, the Turkey is a bit uh, unique in the sense of the investor mix. Right, right. Um, for example, there's about a little over a million um, investors in, in, in the Turkish stock exchange. Mm-hmm. Out of those million, 99% are domestic investors. Mm-hmm. And then out of those domestic investors, most of them are retail investors. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's highly fragmented. And the remaining 1% are foreign institutional investors. Mm-hmm. But that 1% holds 62% of the total market cap. Of the so equity I, of all the, uh, exactly. of all the outside investment. Uh, so the number is small, okay. but they hold, uh, I mean, they hold, hold a lot of sway. Problem is, like I mentioned, most of those foreign institutional investors, they are emerging market funds. They, they look at it as an asset allocation. Um, across emerging markets. And um, so the ones that we want to bring to Turkey are the true long-term investors, mm-hmm. you know, that um, invest in specific equities because they believe they have, uh, you know, uh, attractive um, risk return profile mm-hmm. and that they can hold for the long term. Would you suggest to me that, that uh, a number of these kind of institutional investors, these emerging market funds that invest in Turkey don't hold their shares for that long? Right, which exactly. So if you look at the average holding period in the, um, in the uh, it's called the BIST 100. It's like the S&P 500, just the top uh, 100 for uh, Turkish companies. Mm-hmm. The average holding period there for a foreign investor is about uh, 230 days. Right. Which, you know, is not that long in the scheme of things. But if you look at the domestic side, the domestic investors, they hold it for a little over 30 days. Retail investors, the million. uh, Right. Right. So, you know, that's where the difficulty is. It's highly fragmented. And if you come in and you want to, you know, present your views um, to the investor base, some of them will not be even there by the time you publish an update. You well, know. Let me see this. You, and mostly in the companies like, that you've, uh, you've looked at, do these big institutional investors, they each own like large significant blocks? Like, you know, the family owns like a 50%, but then these three investors own the other 40% or something like that? Or um, lots of individual investors, that institutional investors that own these huge... So, so in the index you have um, large funds that own a large chunk, mm-hmm. but it's because they are part of an index. So, so you also have a lot of uh, index funds. Right, right, right. And then in the specific uh, companies, you know, it's a case by case. Okay. And we'll have, you know, some that are in it and then others where there's, it's just negligible. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, the, 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 the mix, I think, of the investor base in Turkey is both uh, an opportunity and sort of a, a headwind. Mm-hmm. It depends on uh, you know how you approach it. Okay, so you uh, launched your first activist campaign. Uh, tell me if I'm incorrect in the way I'm describing this. Uh, was at a company called Akfen Holding, which is an industrial conglomerate that went private following your campaign there. Um, and if I remember correctly, that had a, a, fa- a large, significant block was controlled by family, but you were able to have an influence there. 
So uh, I guess maybe talk a little about that campaign, how it went and how, uh, you know, and, and I guess it, it seems like you were able to succeed in driving change there despite the uh, family control structure. Is that, is that a fair assessment? Yeah, it's, um, I mean, I don't want to take too much credit because, you know, to the company's credit, they, um, they implemented a lot of the things or they addressed a lot of the issues that we had raised. But, um, you know, there's this, this old joke. It's basically the first generation, you know, builds the fortune the second generation manages the fortune and then the third generation studies art history. And that's something you see in family control. So, you know, and this was one of those where, um, you know, the the father had built the company literally out of nothing. Mm -hmm. And it it is one of the largest, largest uh, industrial conglomerates. It's a, it's a very high profile company. It's a very high profile family, uh, you know, very well regarded in the business community. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you you know, a great company with great management, uh, but lousy share performance. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just the IPO price. It it sort of had underperformed its IPO price, Mm -hmm. underperformed, um, industry peers for five years running and for us you know there was no clear explanation you know why it was you know so undervalued and our thesis was that the company should be worth twice as much in in dollar terms to what it was trading uh, when we invested in it wow and and it, it was our first activist engagement as a firm. Mm-hmm. And to this day, it's our only public campaign. Okay. And generally, you want to engage with the board and management first before you, you know, go public or before you publish a public letter. Mm-hmm. But in this, I, I totally agree with that. Yeah. And uh, in this instance, we decided to do it in reverse because we felt, you know, there was a disconnect between the, the, the company and its investors just not just based on valuation but um you know the company had uh, announced a buyback program which generally should be a positive catalyst for uh, for shares mm-hmm. but uh, after they made the announcements the shares started to sell off and we thought you know that's the problem i mean the, the, there's obviously some kind of disconnect, you know, or maybe there's a credibility issue, whatever the reason we felt we just uh, present our views in in a public letter. And uh, we had also talked to um, investors that were already invested in Akfan to get their views um, in terms of, you know, what they think, might be the reasons for the share performance or the lack thereof. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they were very supportive of our ideas. The institutional and, investors were supportive of your ideas. Yeah. And I mean, we even talked to people that were uh, former investors. We just wanted to know, you know, why did you sell out? Why did you exit this position? Was there anything, you know, was there something about the future you thought might not be as uh, positive or was it anything specific? And, you know, they, they were not very expressive. So they obviously had issues, but they didn't want to come out and say, you know, it, you know, 
didn't want to say what we basically said in the letter. And um, so the letter sort of gained traction um, within the investment community. And um, so what did you say? Like, what are some of the main points in the letter that you, you well, know? Sure. The, I mean, the letter primarily, we believe there was a barrier um, to price discovery. So, so if, if you looked at the balance sheet, um, there were assets that just, you know, didn't even factor into the valuation. I mean, there was hidden, it's kind of a conglomerate with hidden value. And some right. Of the and you have a lot of those in uh, Turkey. So you always have a conglomerate discount. And, um, but th this was beyond that. I mean, like I said, we, our, um, our price target was um, twice of what the company was trading at mm -hmm. and um, once we issued the letter um, you know the, the company started to outperform the share of the company started to outperform the broader market wow. while actually the broader market was in negative um, so for the literally the first time the company's uh, shares were outperforming not just on a relative basis but on an absolute basis so they were and, they were they were like performing better than their peers and also did it did it go above its even, ipo price or yeah even well it, it took a while to reach the ipo price but uh, you know essentially it sort of uh i mean it went past its ipo price the i think the 12 month return on a dollar basis was uh, over 100% in an environment where the the market the 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 best index was flat, so yeah, I mean the alpha was, uh, yeah, I mean it, it was noticeable in terms of uh, institutional investors, and um, yeah, and you the feel company like you were able to put a spotlight on the company, and uh, institutional investors took notice. That well, was it was a very high profile company, so we didn't really put a spotlight on the company per se i mean everything we said in the letter i think you know everybody had agreed with but just nobody wanted to raise it with management and um yeah to, to management's credit i mean they they addressed some of the issues but then they made the decision to go private which was not something we were um i mean was not something we wanted to see because I mean, I would have preferred to still be an investor in the company. I, I really believe in the long term. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, I mean, the company decided to exit. Um, and I think, you know, that that was management's decision. That wasn't really something we were pushing for. Mm -hmm. But uh, ultimately, I mean, they, they, they went private for a premium on the share price. And that uh, you, you, you're, it was ultimately a profitable uh, I guess they decided they wanted to keep themselves out of the public eye, I guess. Correct. And, when, they, when they went private, uh, the share price was significantly higher that they took it private at than what you entered at uh, prior yes. to launching your public letter, I guess, right? Yes. And, um, I mean, months later, um, people sent me, um, you know, screenshots from uh, retail uh, investor forums mm -hmm. where all these, uh, you know, mom and pop retail investors that were in the stock for, I mean, years, which <laughs> they were in it for years because they were holding on to paper losses. It wasn't right. because they had changed their minds, but they had all these messages where they said, you know, that this is like divine intervention. You know, what happened to the yeah. stock? Uh, because, I mean, we don't have a profile in Turkey. I mean, most people don't 
know us and we sort of prefer it that way because it sort of gets us now into a board where we don't have to take the spotlight off the company. And that's why I mentioned, I mean, this was our first and only public um, engagement. And since then, we've approached three companies, uh, management and the board directly, and, um, you know, where we could uh, work without having the public campaign. Um, but that's, I believe, due to what they perceive was uh, value add in Akfan. Mm-hmm. And this oh, so Akfan helped you be able to work collaboratively behind the scenes and with generating um, um, kind of share price improvement ideas, strategic ideas behind the scenes with these other ones? I think so. I mean, the feedback has been positive. And um, like I said, you know, in most of these companies, you still have the founder in some capacities, sometimes as a chairman um, or sometimes just as the largest uh, investor. And you can always sense they haven't been challenged in a very long time. And management tends to be very... Um, I'm not going to say yes, man, but, uh, you know, when the founder talks, even if you don't know who the founder is, you realize <laughs> in the meeting who really calls the shots. Uh-huh. <laughs> Our is always, you know, t- to be upfront. And even if it's something that, you know, w- we feel needs to be said, you know, we say it. And initially it, it was a bit of a issue. I mean, it, it, they sort of had to warm up and they, they felt um, like we were attacking them, the personality or their accomplishments. And my thesis is always, you know, laurels are for losers. You know, if once you start to rest on your laurels, the competition is going to come and get you. You know, it might take a year, it might take five years, but um, you sort of have to um, challenge yourself and have a management that challenges you. you. Which is something you do just, do, you know, generally don't see in a, in a Turkish company. So, but bottom line, you don't feel like you need to, you don't, you, you clearly would not win a proxy contest to elect distant directors at these family controlled companies. But if you put, can put a spotlight, I guess with this one campaign, you're able to put a spotlight on some inefficiencies, some hidden assets and kind of drove uh, change there that uh, you're able to now work in an activist, collaborative, behind-the-scenes manner um, at, at Turkish companies to affect change. And you, you, is, that, is that a first one? You feel like they, they, they are, uh, they're listening to your, your advice uh, that maybe you bring some Western ideas to the, to the table? Yeah, so f- for them, uh, the, um, I mean, all those things, uh, plus I would just add that uh, we sort of bring in the um, institutional perspective, the foreign institutional perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea is to, if they implement some of these changes, they might be operational, they might be, um, you know, just on the corporate governance side, or they might be, you know, explaining their... Um, you know, to institutional investors. Sometimes they just focus on um, the domestic investors because they are the largest shareholder. They don't feel like, you know, they need to um, attract new investors because, like I said, if they're part of an index, you already right. have, you know, the index funds in there. Permanent and capital, say, basically. Right. And what we say is if you bring in, um, I mean, the, the investors that we can bring in are long-term investors that are not part of your um, investor base right now. And once you have longer term investors, 
what will happen, you have, will have low volatility in your share prices. So you're not going to have this trading mentality where, you know, if there's a macro overhang, you know, people are going to exit and it's going to hit your company, even though the, the fundamentals in your company haven't changed. Mm-hmm. And that, that becomes something where they say, okay, you know, what specifically are you thinking about? You know, what's wrong with my company? And we say, you know, there's nothing really wrong with your company, but, um, the, you know, so the institution investors, the long-term ones, the stock pickers, the fundamentally oriented ones, you know, they look at these, these, these things and they always different for each company, but you know, the, the, that becomes then something where they say, okay, um, you know, come in and talk to us because I mean, we have an economic interest. So if what we um, push for doesn't work, uh, we lose money generally more than they do because their cost is much lower since they're the founders, mm-hmm. but we buy in, you know, at the market rate. Mm-hmm. So for us, you know, it's, um, it's not just a financial risk. It's also a reputational risk. You know, mm-hmm. so that's why it's, um, I think that's why we, we sort of have gained distraction where we, can approach them directly. And then this year, for the first time, actually a company reached out to us proactively and said, you know, guys, can you come in? Um, our company, you know, we feel is undervalued. And um, they said, you know, we have a conglomerate structure. We want to change it because we think there's a discount and we think the future is going to be moving away from conglomerates. And I'm listening and I'm waiting for the but. Because that's generally my pitch to them. Right. And it was basically pitching me my pitch. Uh-huh. The company acting as activists, basically. Yeah, so they had all these great ideas. And I just said, okay, but what do you need me for? You just said that the roadmap is already in your hand. Uh-huh. And um, they said, you know, maybe you have some other ideas. Uh-huh. That I thought. But also, I mean, that, you, you could do like this, uh, what do you call it? The um, We describe it as... Uh, uh, validation capital. Sometimes you could write a public letter, you know, supporting the company's strategic M&A conglomerate, deconglomerate effort, and that uh, that could help bolster the company if you're a well-known activist kind of thing. But right, I mean, I, I think that's, that's what, that's what <laughs> happened. That um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's yeah, it, absolutely. I think basically that's what happened at GE when they invited Tryon. Right. Yes. At least temporarily. Hopefully you're not investing yeah. in any GEs. <laughs> that's a very complicated, uh, supersized conglomerate. <laughs> yeah. That, but you're exactly. right, right. There's other examples of like Nike with, uh, with Bill Ackman and some other ones right. that, uh, that were successful that they uh, brought attention to. But all right. Well, you know what? We are comp- all, uh, pretty much out of time here. Unfortunately, I had a whole bunch of other questions, but Ertan, maybe we could do this again sometime. I would love to uh, Absolutely. Uh, some more uh, uh, follow-up questions and learn a little bit more about your fascinating strategy. That is, uh, we've been talking to Ertan Enginelev. And the founder of WSD Capital, and he is the first activist in Turkey. Thank you so much for taking the time, Ertan. Thanks so much. Always a pleasure.